Well, it's a real privilege to be able to speak to you this afternoon. I get the honour of doing the second in our series on the book of Ruth, which I've entitled Responding to God in Difficult Times. So on this wonderful sunny afternoon, we've got some, maybe some challenging things to work through. Uh, my wife, bless her, she listened to my practice run this morning. Uh, with no exaggeration, that took about two hours uh, this morning. And... Uh, yeah, we did have to stop for breakfast and getting kids dressed and doing teeth and things like that. Well, we'll see how that, that all pans out now. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So, let me start. So, Joe kicked off the, the series uh, last week, excellent, with a, an introduction to the book of Ruth. I'm going to dive straight in uh, with the next few verses. So, we're reading from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through to 22. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband." If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw she was really determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So Joe set the scene for us last time. It's set in uh, in the period of the judges and he quoted uh, this verse from the end of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And uh, I read through, I've been doing a Bible in one year and I read through Judges earlier this year and it's really frustrating. And you see them you know, restored 
to the right place with God and then they sin and they fall away and they need a judge to bring them back and you see this cycle keeps going so frustrating, so dark. Um, and it's in this time that actually this book of Ruth is a ray of light. Um, maybe not today's passage so far, but uh, it's a personal story and it's a very emotional story. It's a very engaging story and it's actually a story from the perspective of women as we've read just now. And I guess my heart for this talk was to maybe not dissect all the principles and get into, you know, the theology of this, that and the other, but actually let the words themselves speak to us as we've uh, listened to Naomi and then Ruth express what's going on. Maybe just to see if their words can impact us, they've impacted me. And uh, and obviously we'll get behind those words a little and and dissect it somewhat, but I just want us to maybe experience some of what they were going through and uh, and just what we can learn from that. And then I'll probably spend most of the time on Naomi today. Uh, we've got the rest of the book, which will probably focus more on Ruth. Uh, and then to finish off, we'll pick up on this one word. I don't know if you heard it right at the end of that long passage. It's the word harvest, which sounds a little bit more positive and like something good is on the way. Let me just pray as we get into this. Lord, this is your word, and this is a very special book. We thank you for this. We thank you for maybe some of these uh, passages that talk about darker times. But Lord, let us let us hear from you now. Let us listen to Naomi. Let us listen to Ruth. Let us be challenged. Let us engage with the emotion there. Let us uh, let us see things in new ways. Why? Because of the beauty of the stories that you've put in your word. And I pray that you will change each of our hearts as we listen to these two women in particular. Amen. So, let's start with Naomi. And carry on to the next. Yeah, good. So, just want to go through, let's, let's just remind you of some of her words and then uh, just remind you of some of the situations she's in and look at how she's responding to them as the, the plan. So a few paragraphs of Naomi's are listed out. Let me just go and read through them. I think they, you, you kind of get some of the impact if I just read them one after the other. First from verse 8, Naomi said, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then, almost as kind of a journey of increasing despair, if I'm honest, onto verse 11 to 13. Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say... Uh, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is quite an unusual picture, actually. I'll just pause on that. It's a reference to the levirate marriage. And it's a type of marriage in which the brother of a deceased man is obliged to marry his brother's widow. And the widow is obliged to marry her deceased husband's brother. And in this passage here, it's it's serving a a dual purpose, actually. It's it's underlining, actually, quite how dire Naomi's situation is. 
that she is painting almost this farcical picture. Look, I've got no one else to give you. Why would you hang around with me? There's no hope here. So we're underlining a, a hopelessness of a situation. And yet its secondary purpose is almost an allusion to what's going to come later in the book as well when this uh, levirate marriage principle uh, of a redeemer will come into play as well. But at this point, we're picking up, again, more uh, bitterness, um, some of the desperation. She's used the word husband a number of times there as well, just emphasizing really quite a heavy loss. And then comes to the third uh, little discourse that I'd like to read from verse 20 to 21, when she returns back to Bethlehem. And she says, do not call me Naomi, that means pleasant, but rather call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So again, we see um, really hitting rock rock bottom at that point. She has nothing left. And again, bitterness is in there. And just through those words that I've just read, or those three little passages, you see also interestingly the word Lord or Almighty in there. And actually how she's attributing a lot of these difficulties to God as well. And that's quite maybe hard for us to, to take. So those are the words. And what does that make you feel? Where, where are we at the beginning of this story when we engage with Naomi and, and her journey at this point? Her situation, maybe if I just step back for a moment and, and think, where is she? What is she doing? Well, she left the promised land. Why? For bread, really. She's after some food at the time. There was famine in the promised land. She left to, uh, to go and find some food. Now she's leaving Moab to go back to the promised land. Why? For bread, right? She's heard uh, that there is food once again in the promised land. And for me, whilst there's a physical picture of movement going on here, it's actually uh, quite interesting, a, a spiritual parallel going on as well. She left Bethlehem. Do you know what that means? It means house of bread. Okay, it was in a time of famine. But actually she stepped out from the promised land from her people, from the inheritance that God had given, indeed, maybe from the presence of the Lord. And I think, actually, that's a shocking thing, maybe to the audience of people reading Ruth. If you go and look through some of the law, look at Deuteronomy 28, it's a curse to be thrown out of the promised land, and yet she stepped out. So she's left Bethlehem, the house of bread, and ended up in maybe spiritual famine, right? This is a hard time. Personal devastation. She's lost her husband, lost sons. Uh, Maybe it was a bad thing from her perspective to have uh, Moabites as daughters-in-law. That was forbidden. Uh, They are childless. And the the list is, is pretty extensive. She is now in a foreign people with a foreign country and foreign gods. I was looking up the various gods. If you get into this, Chemosh is one of them, and one of the commentaries described him as the god of famine. Right? So spiritually, she's left the house of bread. She's ended up under a god of famine. She's hopeless, right? That is where we are, <laughs> underlining the situation. This is, this is dire, right? No social security now. She's out of her country. Out of her family, this is poverty and she can't see her way out. And you get a feeling for then why she says to her daughters, don't stick with me, right? I have nothing. Then we see 
she heads out back to Bethlehem, back to that place, that house of bread, her own. There is a strand of hope to get back under the promise, back into the land and back into the presence of the Lord. So her response, let's look at this. And again, I pulled out three facets to this, but in some way they're, they're all interlinked. It's all just um, probing really how Naomi responds to this dire situation. And what do you think of her response to this situation? I mean, we understand the pain. I think we've underlined it. She underlines it again and again. We understand the loss, the hopelessness. But are you allowed to talk to God like that? Attributing to him such devastation. What would be your advice to Naomi? We live in England, maybe you'd say, yeah, pull your socks up. One of the commentaries I was looking at said, it's as if God provides the narrative and just says, there you go. What do you think about that? What do you think? And what you think is important, actually. So these are, in some ways, my opinions. The Book of Ruth just throws it out there. And we go and see what we can do with it. So I've got some ideas on it, and these are my my thoughts. The first is, I think she's authentic. Like Joe, last week, you know, as we get into this, I've been seeing the various cultural expressions that we've been preaching at about over recent weeks throughout this book. And authenticity, which we define as living transparently and truthfully without shame, is, is what's going on here. She's going through the darkest of times. And she pours it out. And you know what? That's okay. What she says is not necessarily correct. She says she comes back empty. Well, she comes back with Ruth. She's not technically empty. That's what it feels like. She pours it out. And you know what? That's okay. Maybe she's not right to express these things to God. You know what I'm going to say? I think it's okay. You know what? You read through the book of Judge. There is Judge. Ruth, Judges was the previous one, but there is no judging going on here. She pours this out, and it's not like God has thought, you know what, I've got all these great stories going on around the world, and I accidentally let this negative bit into my book. It doesn't go like that. God puts this stuff in, and it's great, right? There is no judging going on about Naomi's pouring out of her heart. She's not told off. She is not told to shut up. She's not certainly told to pull her socks up. How about you? And that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, are you struggling? Are you hopeless? I just want to encourage you, it's okay to pour it out before God. Are you weak in your faith? Are you even blaming God? It is okay to bring it to him. He is big enough. He does not need defending. Praise God. And I'm aware in church, right? So I... I get the privilege of leading worship and I put these great kind of praise the Lord songs on and we celebrate God and, you know, we seek amazing miracles and we preach a God who brings abundant joy and amen to all of that. But by doing so, I think we do need to be careful we don't undermine, you know, when people are going through really properly hard times. It is okay. And 
got some bad or good news, depending on your perspective. Acts 14 reminds us, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? This is actually part of God's plan in many, many ways. So we sung a, one of the Matt Redman songs today, but we all know the, the other song um, that's similar. Blessed be uh, your name. Uh, the, one of the verses goes, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And uh, Mr. Redmond, he wrote, it struck me how little a vocabulary we have in Christian worship music to respond appropriately in dark times of life. We all face seasons of pain and unease. And in those times, we need to find our voice before God. That's what Nahum is doing. The church, and indeed the world, needs songs of lamentation. You know, I think we probably can learn something from that. Uh, certainly me personally. And we know the various psalms that talk about the hard times. And indeed the song, Blessed Be Your Name, is from Job 1 itself, straight from the scripture, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So before we move on to anything else, I just think the outpouring that Naomi demonstrates for us is one of authenticity. And I just think the Bible says it's just okay. It's okay to bring it to God as you are in those hard times. And in that, there is a release. There is no shame. There is no judgment. And of course, pouring it out, maybe do it sensitively in, in the appropriate place, but it's okay to pour it out. It is good it is healthy. So that's the first perspective on that. Naomi is very authentic. Secondly, she gives it all to God. Uh, I mentioned that I've been enjoying the Bible in one year, um, mainly because Nicky Gumbel puts great little anecdotes at the, the top of that. And Paul enjoys it as well. And uh, one of these little stories was, was really quite interesting, quite challenging. He says... In 1947, a young New Yorker named Glenn Chambers had a lifelong dream to work for God in Ecuador. At the airport on the day of departure, he wanted to send a note to his mother, but he didn't have time to buy a card, and he noticed a piece of paper on the terminal floor and picked it up. It turned out to be an advertisement with Y spread across it, and he scribbled his note around the word Y and put it in the postbox. That night, his aeroplane exploded into 14,000-foot Colombian peak El Tablazo. When his mother received the note, after the news of his death, the question burned up at her from the page, why? And um, again, one of the things we've been doing in our, our life group is, is Alpha with, with some people and and this question, why, why suffering is one that does come up an awful lot where it comes up every single time. And many times it comes up many weeks of an alpha course. How can your God be both good and all powerful? And we're always just looking for some excuse, some reason to blame, whether it's nature, to blame um, mistakes of others, um, to blame maybe your own mistakes. Why? Naomi's responses. They're shocking, right? Let me find them. Verse 13. The Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 20. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21. The Lord has afflicted me. 
These are expressions I don't think we're used to hearing, are we? I was trying to work out whether I find these phrases comforting or disturbing. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think? What do we think about Naomi's theology here? John Piper, a favourite of mine, he'll probably be quoted in every single sermon I ever preach. He's written a, a beautiful little book called A Sweet and Bitter Providence. And he says on this, I would take Naomi's theology any day over the sentimental views of God that permeate so many churches today. Endless excuses are made for God's sovereignty. But Naomi is unshaken and sure about three things. God exists, God is sovereign, and God has afflicted her. What's the point there, right? These are still expressions of faith, right? In attributing these hardships to God, what's she doing? She's continuing to place herself in the hands of God. Listen to the, the Lord's hand has turned against me. But you know what? I'm holding on to it. There's bad stuff at the moment, but I'm looking to him, right? I'm not at the mercy of any whim of society, of global events or anything. I'm holding on to the hand of God, right? So I always think with um, suffering, and and this always comes up with Alpha, the theology of suffering is hard, right, in, in theory. But it's when you get into practice, it's when it happens for real. That's when it gets proven. Why? Because you can hold on to the hand of God, right? And he won't let go. Where's the best place to go in those times? You will find out by holding on to him, by just attributing it to him, right? You're still in control. You're still in charge here. God is in control, and in those hands she will find her answers. What do you think? I think it's pretty cool. The third facet of this is Naomi, having done a, an authentic expression, having given it all to God, she puts herself in the right place as well. In the midst of this hopelessness, she does one thing. What does she do? She moves back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. I like bread. This is the promised land to the chosen people. Of course, there would be mixed motives in this, right? She's looking for security. She's looking for provision. But this isn't an easy decision. This would be potentially shameful to go back. It would be embarrassing. This is courageous. So in the midst of bitterness to God, that is where she goes. Did you hear that? In the midst of bitterness that she is attributing to God, that is where she goes. She goes back to God, back to the promised land, back to the people, back to the presence of God. And I think that's amazing. I've got a personal example. And I'm standing here, I'm thinking, my dark times really do not compare to those of Naomi's and uh, and those of the lowest of the low, right? But I have known dark times. Um, and the example I'm thinking about is sadly in the context of a previous church as well. And this is tricky to share because I don't really want to share all the details, but I I thought it was important because it's gutting, but churches are often a, you know, a a source for, for, for content, for, for challenge for Christians. And went through a difficult time. And it was a time where uh, actually my identity was undermined. And that had the effect of, um, 
I guess, affecting my confidence, making me wobbly and just my confidence in my own abilities, particularly with what I was doing in the church at the time. And, and then it affects your faith. But, you know, praise God, my testimony is that my response was to get there, was to get into church, to get into the presence of God. And, and as I put it, to stand. Um, or, well, first Christians. But you know the bit in Ephesians 6, the uh, the armour of God, and we like this. Well, I know certainly as a boy, my boy loves this stuff, right? He's always dressing in armour. And we like all this, getting, putting on the armour, I'm going to go and fight. But there's little bits in there, like verse 13, it says, after you've done all, to stand. You know, well, to stand. I wanted to advance. I wanted to go and take the land. No, sometimes you've just got to stand. And you know what? That was my response. I was just standing, but I put myself in the right place. I got to church, I forced my mouth to worship, uh, forced a smile on my face, um, whether that's authentic or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but why? Correct. <laughs> but why? Well, because the promise, the hope, it's found there. All right, The challenges sometimes feel like they're coming from God. But the hope, ultimately the presence of God is there. The answer is there. And the result is I'm here. Praise God, right? With the, with what's been preached here on identity and so forth. So we know what this is like. We know it is very easy to hide. It's easy to just not show up. Naomi's solution, regardless of her feelings, was to put herself back in the presence of the Lord. Wow. Challenge, how about you? Where do you go when you have a tough time? Where do you go when you are angry with God? Where do you go when you have sinned? It's a challenge. Put yourself back in the right place. Do what Naomi did. Put yourself in the right place. Good. Wow, hey, that's Naomi's experience of chapter one. Um, I'm going to move on to Ruth and then um, and then towards the end. So this is going to be a lot quicker, just to encourage you. But you know what? I'm really glad that chapter one didn't stop there. So let me just remind you of some of the words that Ruth says. I'm reading from verses 16 and 17 now. Ruth said to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And I just find it's extraordinary, right? It's an extraordinary example of passion. It's another one of those words of ours, uh, cultural expressions. But if you're looking for an example of passion, here you go. We define passion as pursuing God and his kingdom wholeheartedly without inhibition. And this is Ruth, right? Just giving everything. Her situation was very similar to Naomi's. Similar dire straits, but in some ways it's, it's the inverse. It's the other way around. She in her dire situation, is with her family, with her country, with her gods, and she chooses to leave it all behind. If her predicament was dire before, you know what? It actually gets a lot harder by her going to Bethlehem. She wouldn't necessarily expect to find a husband there in that foreign tribe. So her response, quite incredible. 
Uh, I just wanted to pause. There's there's another part in in chapter one that we don't really get to look at too much. Orpah. I just wanted to compare Ruth to Orpah, the other daughter-in-law of Naomi's, because I think I think she does all right. Orpah does okay, right? We see in verse eight, Naomi tells them to go. You know, there's this weeping, and you see this in verses nine and ten. Orpah declares, "I'm going to go with you, Naomi." But after the impassioned plea of Naomi in verse 14, Orpah stays behind. And, you know, she's no deserter there. She's prepared to go. But Naomi released her. But the book was not called Orpah. No. By comparison, Ruth just expresses something quite phenomenal. An outburst of devotion. It's actually a vow. And an intertwining of loyalty and kindness and devotion to Naomi. And also to Naomi's God. And people, this is passion. So let me quickly go through those two things. The passion uh, demonstrated to Naomi and then to God. First to Naomi, uh, just a, a one-liner, a, a one comment on this, because I was just challenged with this. When we're looking at Naomi's dire situation and I'm thinking, okay, you know, how would I respond to this? And being a bloke, you just want to fix it, and you want to fix it by next week as well. You want it done, right? You don't want these years of having to go through this stuff. Ruth's solution for Naomi through the dark times was not a there, there, or it will be okay. What she gave was herself. I will go with you. You're not going to get rid of me. And I just thought, wow, you know, when we have people in dark times, it's not to judge, it's not to frown, it's not to try and just fix it necessarily, but give ourselves to people. That's a challenge. That's pretty amazing. So that was a demonstration of passion to Naomi. Uh, but if I could dwell a little longer on, on uh, just one line that Ruth says, demonstrating her passion to God. She, she almost makes a confession of, of faith. She says, your people will be my people and your God, my God. I love those words. We've heard phrases similar to that before. They are echoes of the words of God himself. I will be your God and you will be my people. There's, there's no coincidence, right, that the writers do it like this. There's a there's an echo in there that makes us think, hang on, there's something a bit bigger going on here. Um, from the beginning of the Bible right through to the end, well, it's from Exodus through to Revelation, you see this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is God's desire to bind himself into human history and to be identified with people. Hey, we're here today because of that. And these words of Ruth echo God's timeless desire. And as I say, they hint at something really rather special is going on in this book of Ruth. We are in what I hope I underlined the darkest of times for these women. Something very special is going on here. What has Ruth seen? We just talked about Naomi's expression. But I did at least raise the question, dare I suggest that Naomi's authenticity in difficult times has actually been a compelling witness to Ruth of Naomi's God. Why does, why does Naomi still trust in this God who's afflicting her? There's got to be something to this God. I want to know Naomi's God. And I was thinking, you know, to any non-Christians, you know, I, I work in a sales environment that's uh, my job, and uh, of course, part of sales, I go and I accentuate all the positives of what I'm trying to 
uh, portray and to, to sell. This isn't the way to sell a God. What do you think? Do you want to become a Christian? You will experience trouble, hardship, dark times. Do you want to come and know Naomi's God? And I just wanted to maybe do the, quickly, the second part of my personal testimony. Again, sorry I can't give more details, but my hard times personally. Uh, actually, one of the guys that I shared with quite a lot was a non-Christian. Just, you know, my difficulties with God, with church. And today, no, he, he's going to church. Like, he's going to a Catholic church and he's going fairly regularly. And actually, you know, he's not said it um, specifically or explicitly to me, but part of that was his, you know, eye open to what it is to be a Christian, what it means. This isn't always plain sailing. That's okay. So Ruth responds with passion. Passion to Naomi. Passion to God. It's pretty awesome. Right, how are we doing? The last little word of the passage, harvest. Uh, have we got any fans of the Lord of the Rings here? Oh, it's not bad. So you know Return of the King. Right, so I, I know. I'm going to kind of go slightly geeky on you, quite possibly. But I love how dark Tolkien tells the story, but there's a little thread of hope right through it. And do you know the bit? It's Minas Tirith, if you really know it. Uh, I can beat my boy at Trivial Pursuit, Lord of the Rings edition, I'll have you know. So, <laughs> only chance. The bit where they are about, the end of the world is nigh, right? They are about to lose the battle in Return of the King. And Pippin is having this conversation with Gandalf, the wizard. Pippin. I didn't think it would end this way. I can picture it. Gandalf. End? No. The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one we must all take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What, Gandalf? What? White shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Pippin, well that isn't so bad. Gandalf, no. No, it isn't. I was kind of slightly tangential to be honest, but... (laughs) (laughs) I am really glad after going through this chapter, which is really challenging, it finishes with this word harvest. Right, I'm thinking, Harvest, we've done this journey back from famine to the house of bread in Bethlehem. And here we are at harvest time. And I'm thinking, Harvest, in brackets, party time, quite honestly. After all the hard work that goes into sowing and all the preparation and everything, they have a really good party. This is pointing forwards. There is a hope. There is a little line. There is a thread of hope coming into even chapter one. I don't get to steal the thunder uh, by doing any more allusions to the following chapters, but this is not the end. A couple of just perspectives on that. First, God is in control. Right, I've probably said this enough, but just to reiterate, God's got the big plan here. God is sovereign. And I've said something special is going on through this chapter here. You know what? This pain is all worthwhile. All worthwhile. Why? If I can 
dip to the end of the book, Ruth 4 ends with the lineage of King David. King David would not be in our history if Ruth and Naomi had made their, not made their courageous decisions. Roll forward through the Bible just a little bit further. Matthew 1, verse 5. We know about this one, right? This is King Jesus himself. His genealogy has got Ruth's name in it. Did you hear that, right? This is dark times. I've underlined that. Really dark times. God is in control. This is all worthwhile. Whether it's at a personal level, God is in control. For you, personally. For Naomi and Ruth, personally. He is in control. Globally, he is in control. We're looking around the world today. But God, at this point, he was bringing in the nations. Moab, they're meant to be an offence to the people of God. He brought them in. Women, aren't they second-class citizens? No. You're going to have your book in the Bible. You're going to be part of the lineage of King Jesus, my plan for the whole world, right? If I would be permitted another John Piper quote, as a means to that end, and everything is a means to glorifying Christ, the book of Ruth reveals the hidden hand of God in the bitter experiences of, of his people. The point of this book is not just that God is preparing the way for the coming of the King of Glory, but he is doing it in such a way that all of us should learn that the worst times are not wasted. They are not wasted globally, historically, or personally. God is in control. Do you trust he's in control? And finally, God is good. We'll have weeks of preaching through uh, what happens next, and this will be great. Four more weeks. Naomi could not see it at this point, but God's tsunami of abundant goodness was approaching. This will come in the following weeks. And, and I, just, I was just thinking, right, so there was no judgment of, of Naomi's situation at all in this passage, but I couldn't help thinking, well, you left the people of God, right? You left the promised land. Isn't it your fault, right? There's this little kind of, you sinned, right? It's your fault. Well, you could claim that maybe it was her fault, but doesn't it make it even more amazing what God did through that? For a mistake, potentially, right? It's potentially, but doesn't that make it doubly amazing that God would then use that mistake to bring about his own son? Again, final Piper quote. Don't ever, th- listen to this, right? Don't ever think that the sin of your past means there is no hope for your future, right? Amazing, right? The stuff we've been singing about, Jesus on the cross. Don't ever think the sin of your past means there is no hope for your future. Ultimately, this story feeds into the ultimate good news, where all of this makes sense. This is the good news of great joy for all people. Found a little root of it here in Ruth, because Jesus Christ comes about as a part as a result of all of this. Jesus Christ is obviously he's the answer from his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. This is where suffering makes sense. This is where justice is met. This is where we get joy and hope. This is good news. And Ruth expresses this passionate faith. Ruth gave it all and we think when we give it all in worship, you know what? We're receiving all as well. Ruth gave it all and receives all forever. Uh, the missionary Jim Elliot, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.
So God is good. So you give him all. If there's any non-Christians, does that sound a bit better than <laughs> the half of the story we talked about earlier? There we go. So we summarise. This is all about responding to God in difficult times. I think uh, these two women are amazing. Their expressions are incredible examples. But also, as we get a little bit deeper, we realise that God is a silent role in this chapter as well. He's busy working. So I'll let other sermons can maybe dissect some of the theology in a different or better way, but let the words of these amazing ladies uh, impact us, impact you. They impacted me, certainly. Their words are both, I think, releasing and inspiring. Releasing the expression of authenticity on the part of Naomi, but inspiring when you see the example of passion on the part of Ruth. Should we just pray? Dear Lord Jesus, you, you take us through some times that we don't expect when we say we're going to follow you. And we've looked at some amazing passages today. We've looked at this incredible woman, Naomi, who still just looks to you in the midst of darkness. And I just want to pray that each of us would just have that seed planted in our soul. It may not be today. It may not be next year, but in all likelihood, we'll have to go through dark times as part of your journey. And I pray these lessons of Naomi would allow us to be ourselves, to be released. We wouldn't be judged. We wouldn't be ashamed in those circumstances. But we would be strong. We would know our God. We would know our God is in control. We would know our God is good. And we would know to put ourselves in the right place again and again. I pray certainly for anyone today that are in those dark times. These are the hardest times to hear these words. And I pray your grace would be amazing. I pray your goodness and I pray uh, your sovereignty would be tangible, uh, would be a very, very present hope to people in that place at this time. We look to you finally, Lord, and just say, We are so grateful that we are your children as we worshipped earlier. We thank you that we are just beneficiaries of your overflow of, of goodness. Yeah, we just want to know you more and more and just drink of your goodness more and more. Thank you, Lord. Amen.